0: The Burger Krieg Productions' 15 Minutes of Fame podcast features Brian, bassist and singer of the Massachusetts-based hardcore punk band, Sky Tigers. Here's their song Truth Decay.
1: Creek Productions, 15 Minutes of Fame podcast. I have, we'll, we'll call it a, a show alumni, right? Or an alum, uh, as yeah. it were. Brian from like Sky it. Tigers and Mass. He's He has nothing better to do than sweat with me uh, on on a Tuesday. So, Brian, welcome back.
0: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me back.
1: Hell yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't have it any other way. Now, there's been a few things that have happened between the time you and I spoke initially. Um, obviously, a number of things on a global scale, but I'm curious, tell me a little bit about the reception of the album, Yule Orgy, which essentially for those who are unaware, it was released more or less in, in the midst of, of a lockdown pandemic. I can imagine as a, as a fellow artist, it was probably a little strange releasing something and then not being able to quote unquote tour the album. What, yeah. what, what kind of feedback, you know, what was the reception like uh, regarding the album overall?
0: It was it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to roll out and people were just going to be so overwhelmed with everything that was going on that, um, you know, they just kind of ignored all that stuff for a while. You know, music and entertainment, everything. Because you know, when we were putting the album together and stuff, we were talking about whether to release it, when to release it. Because literally, we had our last meeting for the record where we actually picked up the physical records from the label the weekend of st patrick's day of 2020 which was here it was the week after that that everything shut down Mm -hmm. and we talked about releasing it in april and we were going to do a huge uh record release show and obviously that didn't happen so this literally all hit at the same time like the records here were ready to go and then all of a sudden nope can't do anything with it so we thought it was just going to fall on deaf ears, um but it's you know it's been it's been positive the whole way and you know things have tapered off now it's been out for about a year now Mm -hmm. um but thinking back you know the initial reception we have you know record stores in north dakota picking it up and (laughs) and, and, you know all over the place they're all over here in massachusetts too um you know and and that's been very positive for us because i mean i haven't i've never put out anything on vinyl before and and we're only releasing it on vinyl Mm -hmm. and, and digitally um the only you know I've I've done CDs with other bands and stuff like that, and it had them, um, you know, some of them spread more, you know, were were more well received. But this record, I don't know, it just felt it, it felt like more me because this is this is the type of music that i want to make mm-hmm. this is the type of stuff that i you know grew up listening to and stuff this is this is where my influences are and my other bands were um like pop punk bands which is fine i, I love pop punk but like when i write music and when i write riffs it's heavier faster more like punk hardcore stuff
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so when we put out this record to me it was more important you know what i'm saying like this was much cooler because this is something that i put my effort into like this is basically me and right uh me and ryan uh our creative process and the rochelle's creative process like this just felt more me when this came out and us, uh, you know mm. um because i know you know i've never actually asked ryan about ryan today, uh, today's ryan's birthday actually oh, so no shit. Um, just happy birthday to ryan um and it's funny i have never actually talked to him about like how the differences between the drums on the two records? Because he was in my old pop rock band too. Mm. Um, I should remember to talk to him about that. Cause that'd be interesting to hear. But anyways, you know, the record came out and everybody, you know, everybody loved it. It, it was it was an awesome feeling because, um, you know, we were you know we were a bit worried, mm. what was gonna happen with it. And you know, we, despite not being able to play shows, despite being, not being able to tour, um, you know, we sold through way more uh, copies than I thought we would. So, you know, I, I'm satisfied.
1: We talked about your Bandcamp bio, right? The tight, tighter than Mitt Romney's butthole. Yeah, now, yeah. I, I know that one of the other entries on there, I believe it's Al Gentile of the Lowell Spin, um, yep. stated that Sky Tigers, quote, Sky Tigers has brought the best elements of high-energy punk, the extracting harmonic acrobats, of thrash and class, classic throbbing riffs built from a clear and sober understanding of rock now in your opinion and you don't have to name names what are some of the worst ways in which you've heard people describe the music of sky tigers
0: uh, <laughs> you know i i don't know that i've ever heard anybody describe our music that made me like grimace <laughs> um you know it, it it's funny because we're so like I don't know I I feel like our music is unique but it's unique because we're not doing anything like different like we're not trying to go outside of like the bounds of reason when it comes to music so most people when they describe us they're just like yeah you know shit kick and rock and roll man Mm -hmm. or like you know lately we get like crossover thrash which that was kind of surprised me because I never really considered it to be crossover but that's what other people think I guess and that kind of I was like okay Sure. <laughs> I, I didn't think I had the integrity to be in a crossover band, but, you know. <laughs> um, you know, I have a Blink-182 tattoo. Right, right. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> Thrash crossover enthusiast right. Brian. Right,
0: <laughs> you know, like. exactly. Like I said, I was in a pop-punk band before this for yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, probably the funnest years of my life. So, um, But, yeah, so, the, I mean, aside from that stuff, uh, you know, it, it's all fairly typical. <laughs>
1: That keeps it. I think that keeps it kind of close—not close to the vest—but it, it shows that the individuals that you are reaching, or the people that talk to you about your music, they kind of get it. You know. It,
0: yeah, it, either that, or I'm just so awkward that when people make comments like that, I just filter it out of my brain, so I don't have to think about it anymore. It's just gets <laughs> it'd be, flushed. It'd be one of those things in the shower, like 20 years from now, like, oh man, I can't believe that dude said that about our <laughs> band.
1: <laughs> oh, and I gave him a T-shirt and everything, and he's going around right, saying exactly. that. Like, oh, that's funny. Now, one of the one of the things that I noticed, and you and I chatted about it the second time we got to play a gig with you. Um, the first time that we shared a bill together, you were rocking that Rickenbacker, the Black Rick, and I know during the show it was giving you grief. There was some weird shit happening with it. And then the second time we played with you, you would settle on a Fender. Now, this is kind of like a two-part question, because I know that we talked about the Rick and kind of the issues that you were going through when we played with you that second time. Now, I've done some in- independent research poking around. There are some moderately sketchy companies that are based outside of the U.S. that make Rick copies, Right now, yeah, this is mind you, this is minus the hardware craftsmanship that comes with, uh, you know, an American made Rick. Now, two things oh, having played what I believe is to be a legitimate Rickenbacker for, as I'm talking for yourself, yep. would would you ever play on like a modded or like a Rickenbacker copy?
0: Um, I don't, you know, if it were a Fender jazz bass or like, you know, a, you know something like that something typical Mm -hmm. i would consider playing like a a knockoff or like a a kit build you know Mm -hmm. but rickenbacker just it it has such a unique body shape that if you're playing that body and you're not getting the rickenbacker sound you're just you know it kind of defeats the purpose Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying because you can get I mean, obviously, it's not going to sound just like a Fender Jazz bass, but you can get pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's something about the Rickenbacker. It's just so, you know, it's got that low growl, that sludgy sound to it. You're really not going to get that from anything but a Rickenbacker with those heavy, heavy active pickups they put in there. Um, I personally uh, probably wouldn't play uh, a knockoff. But, you know, if that's what you're looking for, then.
1: No, 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 no. I and, and that was that was. I wanted to talk to you about it because I recently stumbled across, uh, you know, just a couple of the you know Craigslist posts, face, Facebook Marketplace. People are selling. The come right and tell you this is a, a, a Rick and ripoff, right? Yeah. And, and I watched some videos, and it, it kind of is in line with what you're saying. It's almost like, right. what is the purpose?
0: <laughs> like so. So, for instance, my roommate actually built one. So he got oh, like a kit and he put it together himself. Yeah. And it plays really well. He, he did a great job on it. So like something like that, I could see. And then maybe, you know, you build it and you're just like, okay, cool. I built the guitar. Now I, I'm never going to play this. So I may as well get rid of it. You know, <laughs> I could see something like that. Um, and then, yeah, maybe somebody's like, I can't afford a, a real Rick, or I don't think I'm ready for a real Rick. Um, maybe I'll start off on this and, you know, and if that guy built it from a kit, you know, maybe he's got close to um, close to the Rickenbacker sound, but I don't know personally, I fixed I fixed the issues with my Rick, and it's you know, she's back in business, and I couldn't be happier.
1: Now, what did you what was your first bass that you learned how to play? Uh, play those four, four, four strings on
0: that was, um, I think it was a Thunderbird, actually. Oh, no, shit. like,
1: yeah, a, a legit I, Thunderbird. Did you get an ap- Epiphone, or whatever
0: it is. Uh, uh, no, I think it was, and um, it, it was bright red, so it didn't have like the the rosewood body on it or under anything. So okay. it must have been like a like an Epiphone. But um it was the bassist from I's little pop punk band. He moved out to California and left his rig and his basses behind, or or one or two of them, and um said, "Yeah, you know, go ahead and you know you can use them. I'm not doing anything with them." Mm-hmm. So I, I learned on his the um he had an Svt he was an Svt four too as well, and then he had like a uh, the Ampeg 8 by 10 i think it Jesus was yeah you know, the refrigerator God. cab yeah. yeah um fun story about that cab uh so that band that Ryan and I were in is called Eastern Legacy we recorded at Applehead Studios up in Woodstock New York oh nice um yeah we're all um Coheed's Records were done yep. and so Joe the bassist from that band bought that cabinet off of Mike Birnbaum who runs that studio and that was actually the cabinet that recorded all of the Coheed Records up to like um, the first one they did with, I think it was Rick Rubin. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah.
1: Dude, yeah. that's a, he- that's insane.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, oh, but, but I, I honestly have no idea where that cab is now. I know it was at our old practice space. And then when we moved, um, it disappeared. Like somebody grabbed it. Cause you know, that space is wicked sketchy. Um, <sighs> Yeah, and I—I I, by that time I had gotten like something much smaller because I wasn't about to bring that thing around to shows. <laughs> no,
1: no, not—not not for anything. I mean, at that point it's like I'll just play the the maybe less than awesome shared gear than bring. Oh, that no, I could around.
0: care less about the intrinsic value of it. I just I, lugging that thing around. Was no, that's what, that's what I'm yeah. saying. It's like, I'll, <laughs> yeah.
1: I'll I'll gear share with somebody using like a shitty whatever, yeah. you know, versus bringing that thing, you yeah, know, yeah. up and down anywhere, let alone, oh, could you imagine God. bringing that up worthen attic stairs? Like,
0: yeah, you know, I was just going to say that. I was like, did you guys play the worthen when you were here? Because I couldn't yeah. remember if they were both at Uncharted. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> yeah, those, those stairs are awful because we've brought that cab up there before. <sighs> Uh, and it's missing one of the wheels too, so you gotta like balance it when you're rolling it. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: think I think that gig I think you guys used my base cab or it was uh the headliners, uh not the write offs. Was it the write offs? Um no, we play with them in Connecticut. Either way it doesn't matter. Those stairs suck and I can't imagine being up there in a day like today. Let's just we'll, we'll oh, leave, yeah. leave it at that. <laughs> Fucking brutal as fuck.
0: And my, keep in mind, like I didn't you know, I, I dabbled in guitar and stuff, but I never really got too good at it. I was coming off of the synthesizer. Oh nice. And I was like, all right, I guess, you know, I I'm gonna dive into this now. <laughs>
1: nice and and i i wanted did i don't know if you and i talked about this before when when you say like a pop punk synthesizer i'm thinking like motion city soundtrack type stuff were you kind of going in that or a whole other direction uh,
0: no it's actually it was it was in line with like the coheed and cambria oh, stuff like okay. more like kind of a little bit epic it's all on spotify and stuff it's it's i mean it's an awesome record okay you know for what it's worth i i really enjoyed the experience and um you know i know myself and the other guys are very very proud of it it's you know um it's called the the record we did with mike birnbaum it's called new nightmares to challenge sleep cool i like that <clears throat> yeah. name yeah. in general I <laughs> mean oh we ripped it off that show heroes
1: oh okay <laughs> well, well fantastic work so this is a game that I've launched this season. Uh, it's called Alphabet Soup. And today's yeah. letter is the letter C. Now, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two words. They both start with the letter C. And I'll ask you a series of these, uh, pairs of words. But I want you to choose one. I don't want you to think too much about it. And just give me a brief one sentence as to why you chose that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, let's see. Brian. Would you rather have a bowl of Cheerios, bowl of Captain Crunch? Cheerios. Okay. Uh, here's a here's a good question. Would you rather sit down and listen to the uh, an album of your choice from the Clash or an album of your choice from Crass? Uh, Clash. Okay. Which Clash album would you choose? London Calling. Okay. Excellent choice. That's a long ass one too. I mean. You could, it, I feel like the equivalency of London and Calling to like the Crass's equivalent, or Crass's equivalency would probably be like Christ the Album or something, right? You know, uh, I'm
0: honestly not too familiar with the okay. Crass's catalog.
1: No, it's so. okay. Um, <laughs> would you rather sit down with your family? And this is your family in its entirety. We're talking to everyone. Would you rather sit oh. down and watch the movie Clue, or would you rather sit down and watch the original Child's Play?
0: Uh, clue definitely
1: so why clue is a little easier to a little bit more palatable for like grandparents
0: <laughs> well no not even that it's just because my family are just loud and obnoxious and the thing that focuses them is when they're all laughing at the same thing <laughs> and <laughs> and i just think that clue would be a fun movie to watch with like a group of people like that all just like you know riffing on the movie as it goes along.
1: So is your, and, and I say this because I'm fascinated with, with your answer and how you answered it, you said your family's very loud. A lot of, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of commentary, intermittent conversations,
0: like Oh I, yeah.
1: So, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> so so what, I, I've noticed that in particular, do you have a large family? Yes. Come from a large family? Like how many, how many aunts and uncles?
0: Uh, I have on my mom's side seven aunts and uncles.
1: Dude, what are reunions like if you guys do a
0: reunion honestly they all hang out every single weekend anyways so it's it's always a reunion over there and it's funny because I live you know if I squint I could probably see my aunt's house and she has the pool so everybody's probably over there right now um, I'll hanging out in this you know 40 of them or whatever <laughs> and it's just you know it's funny because this is actually <laughs> this is something to tell everybody about my family um, so we're, you know, obviously very Irish and very loud and mm-hmm. most of them are functioning alcoholics. Um, and every year around the holidays, like we'll get together and we'll all just be crammed in my aunt's house, playing board games, just eating food and just screaming back and forth at each other. And as the night winds down, without a doubt. Uh, like it, it just it doesn't matter how many people there are left or or who's there without a doubt somebody's gonna put on the dropkick Murphys, and my entire family <laughs> is gonna start singing it from my youngest cousins to my 85 year old grandfather uh, it just it just happens and it's funny because i told this to one of my ex-girlfriends when she was coming over for christmas one year uh first time and i was like all right listen this is what's <laughs> gonna happen and she started giggling like oh no, no haha, that's funny like because she knows know my older cousin who i you know hang out with every now and again and she's like i know you know i get it he'll probably he likes to drop kicks i'm like nope wait till you see and then without a doubt the entire family
1: oh that's that's funny so so what game what board game or or games could be card game board game whatever what tends to cause the most friction in that household uh trivial pursuit no shit yep what is there a wedge that seems to like elude everybody until a certain point. Like, is it, does it get to the point where everybody's got all of the wedges except one, or is it not pre- re- Is it a pretty good mix?
0: It's it's so it's usually a good mix. But like, I have cousins that are really good with sports facts, and then of course my uncle and I are really good with like music facts. Mm-hmm. And then you know, random other people in my family be screaming from the background about the history <laughs> facts. We're like, shut up! You're not even playing the game. You know? Oh, um, yeah. It's. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: yeah. Can you share with me a decent story? Um, about one of the worst live music experiences you've had to suffer through, either playing in a band or as a fan in the audience—just crummy, crummy
0: time. Um, man, there's so many. <laughs> and oh, okay. You know what? I've got a story for you. So you know, there there have been plenty of shows that we played where I've had to sit through bad bands or whatever, and you know, there are plenty of shows that we played that I just like wasn't in the mood to be where I am. <laughs> that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. But back in 99, uh, I turned 16. And for my birthday, my dad got my cousin and I tickets to Woodstock 99. Oh man. And so, yeah. So we all go out. It's me, my dad and my older cousin, Mike. So we go out and I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And mind you, let me preface this by saying, I wouldn't take it back from the world because it was an experience. (laughs) And you know, it was like, it was awesome in its own respect, but it was, like, so hot. When we got there, we had to hike two miles across, like, this open airfield so there was no shade, no cover or anything. We're carrying, like, our luggage He's carrying—my dad's carrying a cooler. You know, my cousin Mike's carrying cases of water. Like, I got my arms full with God knows what because I was, like, 90 pounds soaking wet, so I was probably holding a newspaper. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's you know, sweltering hot out. We finally find a place to pitch our tent. Um, you know, we're hanging out, whatever, and obviously it's in the open air, so the tent's like a sauna because this is before, you know, you had cooling technologies and tents that you could, you know, get— Um, It was just basically a tarp. Um, And the whole weekend was like that. It was just so hot. By the end of the first day, you could tell that they were not prepared uh, for that much, like, you know, to have to give people that many fluids. You know, they didn't have the water. They didn't have, I mean, even soda ran out halfway through the second day. And, you know, it got to the point where on the second day, um, it might have been the third day, uh, where they were selling like bottles of iced tea, which is just sugar. Like, it's oh. not even going to hydrate you, right? It's like nest tea iced tea for $20. <laughs> and this is $20 in 1999. You know, <laughs> oh, like, this geez. isn't like you walk into a, a you know, your, your you know, cafe or whatever, and you get a $20 iced tea because it's, you know, bougie. You <laughs> this is like <laughs> you're trying to sell poison to people in, <sighs> in the sweltering heat. And, you know, it was just like, it was everything you thought it was going to be, you know, that the, the porta potties were all flooded out. Like I didn't use the bathroom the entire weekend <laughs> and like some of the bands, like the egos and stuff like my, my cousin really liked Buck cherry and nice. they were not for me. No. So he was like, he was like, Oh, let's go see Buck cherry. And then afterwards we can go see, I think it was like the offspring was playing on the other stage, which mind you, between the two main stages was like another two and a half, three mile walk
1: in Holy the open shit.
0: blister. Yeah. Um, so it was all the way on the opposite ends of the airfield. And so, yeah, <laughs> so we go over there and we're waiting for Buck Cherry to come on. And apparently he was backstage being an asshole because nobody brought him cocaine before they started their set. And he's like, I'm not going on that stage until I get cocaine. And so this is all feeding back to us from the people who are on the stage. Like, yeah, apparently he just needs coke. Anybody have coke? <laughs> um, And I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to go find some shade. You have fun with Buckcherry. cherry. So I, um, you know, I went out and I found like a, like a over thing, you know, like a a vendor booth or whatever to sit Mm -hmm. under. And, um, you know, I'm just hanging out there, just doing whatever, watching the world go by. And, you know, it's, it's Woodstocks. They're like naked people walking around everywhere. And, you know, I'm just 16. So this is like, (laughs) like, oh my God. Yeah. So when we went out there, my mom was like, all right, John, John's my dad. Um, He's like, you know, don't let him out of your sight you know i want them attached to your hip at the whole time like don't whatever the second we get into this place my dad's like all right i'll see you guys on sunday holy <laughs> he just, <laughs> yeah he's like he's just doing his own thing right so now mind you my family <laughs> you know we had a black box We could get all like the pay-per-view channels oh, yeah. when i was growing up and so woodstock was actually on pay-per-view like Mm -hmm. they were broadcasting it and so my mom was like glued to the television trying to see like what's going on and apparently she she saw me i guess while i was like sitting there with all these naked people walking by she was like freaking out about it yeah (laughs) so um but then afterwards when it all hell started to break loose so everybody it's funny because everybody attributes this to limp biscuit it limp biscuit played on the second day the riots and stuff didn't start until the end of the red hot chili peppers set who mm. closed out everything on the third day. Like that's when people really started to burn stuff down was like, as the chili peppers were getting this set underway. So, um, you know, we saw, I forget what the last band we saw was. Uh, but then my dad's like, does anybody really want to see the chili peppers? And I'm like, no. no. <laughs> so we like, you know, we went back, we packed up our tent and we got out of there like, right before they locked everything down. Wow. So we didn't like, you know, there are fires here and there, but it was stuff you'd expect at the end of a three-day festival when everybody's pissed off and dehydrated. Sure. Um, And so we're like, we're like, all right, let's just, you know, get out of here, you know, whatever. So we walked the two miles back to the car. Mind you, there's no cell reception. Um, my dad did have a cell phone, but you couldn't get because, you know, it's Woodstock. There's no cell towers anywhere around there, whatever. Um, It was actually in Rome, New York. Yeah, Griffiths.
1: Uh, Is that Griffiths? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so anyway, so my mom was trying to call the entire time when she started to see the fires and hear the news reports, the riots and stuff, she couldn't get through to us. So she's freaking out. Right. Aww. And as soon as we get, you know, we get in my dad's car and there was all, you know, already some people, um, like waiting in line. So there was a little bit of traffic. I think we had to wait in probably an hour of traffic to get out to the road, um, maybe longer, but. As soon as we get cell reception, my dad's phone starts blowing up. My mom's like, Where are you guys? Are you okay? Like, did you make it up? My dad's like, Yeah, we're fine. We're in the car. We'll be home in like, you know, twelve hours or whatever I want it to take. And then she's like, She's like, Oh, I'm so glad you made it. He's like, It's not a big deal. Like, we're fine. She's like, Everything's burning to the ground. My dad's like, What? And we all turned around and looked out the windows at the same time. We're like, Holy shit, Holy that shit. whole place is on fire. Yeah. Uh, We had no idea until we were like, you know, two hours outside of the (laughs) side of the venue. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) it was wild, but it was just like so hot and miserable and like I didn't have anything to drink on the third day. It was just like, you know, one of those situations where I'm, you know, glad for the experience, but under no circumstance would I ever do it again.
1: (laughs) Uh, Did you uh, did you end up were you privy to that like uh, that
0: primus set? I know I saw Primus, but I don't uh, remember. I, I think, was that when they? I know they arrived at a helicopter at one point. I saw them. I saw them like three times that summer.
1: Okay, because because <laughs> I know that there's like all that footage, like the whole shit mud fight.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um. So I mean that that was going on anyways, but like, the portal parties were far enough far enough away from that that it was just like mud. It just, it rained the second night real quick. I think when Metallica started, um, they started dropping the sails on the sides of the stage. They had these giant, like 200 foot high, you know, basically sailboat sails, Mm. um, that had like Woodstock 99 painted on or whatever. So they started dropping those and we saw the clouds rolling in and we're like, Oh shit. Like things are about to get messy. Um, but yeah, so it downpoured for a little bit during Metallica's set. And then, I forget, maybe corn played after them or something. I forget. Mm. Um, so, you know, whatever. But then it cleared up right away, but it was really muddy down there. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, people, but at the porta potties, yeah, absolutely. People were fucking throwing shit at each other. It was <laughs> disgusting. Like, we didn't, my cousin was like, oh, or one of us was like, oh, yeah, let's, you know, hit the porta potties. Like I said, I didn't go to the bathroom the entire weekend. We like got within sight of it. And I'm like, yeah, have fun. <laughs> I- I'm, I'm. No good. way. I'm good. No way am I going anywhere near that.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> So, so, give me if you can, and and maybe this there is maybe the answer is nothing, but anything that we can expect from Sky Tigers second part of 2021, as you know, we're getting into end of June, first part of July. What's uh, what can we expect from the band? Any anything to announce? Anything worth noting?
0: Uh, Ryan and I uh, started hashing out a couple of new songs. We should have three or four new songs hopefully by the end of the year um we are so jay was playing with us through 2020 so basically i don't know if you've caught on yet a lot of people have um john cogswell and jay maloney ryan's older brother Mm -hmm. are two phenomenal guitarists and they have both played pretty consistently in sky tigers but it will always come down to which one is able. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, you know, one of them be like, oh, I got to take a break from music for a while and, and do my own thing. And then the other one would be like, oh man, I really just want to play shows again. And we're like, welcome back, man. <laughs> um, so Jay played with us through 2020 and now he uh, relocated out to California for a bit. He's doing his like recording thing out there and then sure as shit, he's out there for a month. And then John Cogswell, we hung out and he's like, hey man, like just really looking to play shows. Like it'd be awesome. I was like, yep, yeah. all right, come on. <laughs> So now John Cogswell is playing with us again. Nice. Um, yeah, so he's uh, he's going to be playing with us at the record release. One of these days, one of these days, both of them are going to be in the same place at the same time. <laughs> Rochelle's here. She's always here. Rochelle's going to be, you know, whatever. Um, she's like me and Ryan. Mm-hmm. But we're going to have three guitarists, and we're just going to go out as Iron Sky Tigers. I already have it <laughs> please, mapped out in my brain. Please, please. <laughs> it's going to be incredible. We just got to get them both in the same place at the same yeah. time.
1: well that and somebody you need to do an adaptation of like an eddie costume oh absolutely you know what i'm saying like because three
0: guitars one of them can (sighs) be running back and forth with the union jacks swinging that you know We'll be in like a basement somewhere. and We'll have like a giant, <laughs> massive, you know, British flag that takes up the entire room. <laughs> you get like <laughs> giant inflatable Satan behind yes. us, with like squashed under. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, it, I, I can also picture like you know the front, the front part of like a Spitfire from like World War II, like the plane yeah. basically. <laughs> oh man, like. Okay, I, I'm, I'm liking where your head's at with that. Please <laughs> attempt to make this happen, because I think that would be just for the sheer... I mean, Christ, you could even do a setup like that in like a VFW or something. You know, YMCA, know. Yeah. like Ballroom <laughs> or whatever. Um, so my last question for you, um, the track off Eulorgy, um, one of the tracks, because the, the whole album's great, I know there's some spillover from some of the other releases, you know, re- repackaged and stuff for this record, but specifically the song... Angel of Death there's some really intense like intensely accurate lyrics and I know it's across <laughs> the board with all of your songs but for some reason in particular this one resonated for me in preparation for this uh for this interview specifically uh the lyrics a life sentence in financial prison with no hope for an early release i keep my cash in a canister cuz i've got places to be now as a professional punker yourself what advice would you have for kind of the next class of punks regarding this financial prison that we more or less forcibly operate in and around any any words of advice that that you'd pass down to kind of these future <laughs> punkers
0: just don't do it man drop out of school it's not worth it mm-hmm. that's that's my advice get out before you dig in mm-hmm. it's, you know i'm a lawyer who was paycheck to paycheck this sucks you know <laughs> I don't wish this on anybody, and so many people are in the same position as me, and it's awful. It is absolutely awful, and it's all – it came down to like two or three things that happened in the late 90s uh, where they rewrote certain certain laws about you know um, finances and stuff like that, banking finances and, and um, bankruptcy provisions and stuff. And after that, it became much easier for banks to write risky loans out to people who couldn't repay them. It happened in the mortgage industry, it happened in the student loan industry. And it's we're now feeling the consequences because those people are now 20 years out of college like me, and here we are. You know, and it's it's eventually gonna come to a point where, you know, we can't funnel our wealth back into the economy because we can't accumulate wealth like it was, you know, people back in the nineties, you know, if you, you know, made over $30,000 a year back in the nineties, you were considered, you know, upper middle class, you know, you could have a house and you could do whatever, you know, it's maybe not 30,000, but you know, you know what I'm saying? It's still much,
1: much less than it is now.
0: Right. Like in order, in order to function in society nowadays, you have to have, basic income that back in you know 95 would have been considered upper middle class even lower upper class you know mm-hmm. like like wealthy for a single person and now it's it's barely enough mm-hmm. and it's all because we were told if you want to succeed you got to go to college and in order to go to college you got to take out student debt and because it was much easier to lend to students college tuition rates went through the roof and colleges didn't give a shit about whether they were accepting 500 or 2000 psychology majors Uh, And the fact that there was maybe one or two jobs for people with psychology degrees or, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. like there's, it's just complete irresponsibility across all boards on that end. And it's still, nobody is taking responsibility for it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yet still continuing to feel the repercussions of said actions.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, I mean, I'm still, I, I graduated from UMass Lowell in 2008 and then I got a master's degree in 2010 and you know, I still get the calls. Hey, you know, donate to UMass Lowell. You're an alumni, like whatever. And I'm like, you guys have more money than you know what to do with. So much so that you're just rebuilding all of downtown Lowell and buying up property, taking out like you know areas that could be used for housing and stuff like that. And you're just making it into this like college mecca yeah. that is completely unnecessary. And you're doing it also you can inflate your you know uh, incoming class sizes and, and majors that have absolutely no job prospects. Mm-hmm. Like, how is that not re- irresponsible? Oh, it's, it's just completely uh, irresponsible, <laughs> you know. And it's like just get it together. You're a state school. You're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell. But in any way, that's personal grievances. <laughs>